The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Today we continue in our series, God is more than enough. God is more than enough. God is more than enough. Our text is Psalm 23 from verse 1 to the end. Today we read from the New King James Version of the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's all read together. One, two, go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It makes me lie down in green pastures. It leads me beside still waters. It restores my soul. It leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, God's goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the life, in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. We, we saw last week that there has to be a making and there has to be a leading before there can be a restoration. And we explained that God doesn't ask us to lie down in green pastures, God makes us lies, lie down in green pastures. So it's, we are forced, as it were, to lie down. And God is not making us to lie down in, in withered pasture, in brown pasture. He makes us lie down in what? In green pasture. And when God has you boxed in a corner, it's because he wants to feed you. And he wants to feed you with green pasture. And when we are down and he's gotten us to that place, when we look up, the only thing we see is God himself. And we are able to now follow his leading. We are able to follow God's leading. So God makes us lie down. But God doesn't force us beside still waters. God leads us beside still waters. So God leads us beside still waters. God says, come. And he expects that we'll come. So why people are struggling to follow God's leading? Or why people do not follow God's leading, or why it has been impossible for people to follow God's leading, is because people haven't learned to stay down when God puts them down. Because when God puts you down, and you stay down, when you get up, and God leads you, you follow. When God is leading you, and you're struggling to follow, uh, they have to put you down. So, there has to be a form of brokenness before there can be a willingness. So, God first leads us to still waters, not to troubled waters, to still waters. Then, we see that there's a progression from there, and that's what we're going to take off from today. The second leading, he leads us in the path of righteousness. The actual root meaning of that path of righteousness means it's actually the right path. It leads us in the right path. In literal translations, if you look at the NRSV, for instance, Psalm 23, verse 3, says, He leads me in right paths. For his name's sake. There is a right path for your life. And if God is your shepherd, 
it will lead you in the right path. And I pray today that since God is your shepherd, he will lead you in the right path for your life. In the mighty name of Jesus. So, if God is your shepherd, he will meet your directional needs. Last week, we looked at God meeting our spiritual needs. And it's more than enough to meet our spiritual needs. We saw last week. And today we are going to see that God is more than enough to meet our directional needs. Are you here? And if you are like bewildered, you, are, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. You have come at the right time. God will give you direction. You're like, where do I go from here? I lack direction. If God is your shepherd, he will meet your directional needs. There is a right path for your life. There is a right path for your life. Life is filled with decisions, options, different detours, different exits, different paths. But there is the right path for your life. And when God leads you through that right path for your life, it leads to freedom. Praise the name of the Lord. When God leads you in the right path of your life, it leads to freedom. There's a way that seems right unto a man. But the end thereof is bondage, is destruction. There are paths that can lead to bondage. You will not take it in the name of Jesus. There are paths that can lead to destruction. You will not take those paths. Say amen. Well... In the name of Jesus. There are paths for your destiny that leads to freedom. That leads to destiny freedom. That leads to life freedom. That leads to financial freedom. That leads to mental freedom. You will take that path. In the mighty name of Jesus. Options are before us every time in life. Options, 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 options. Where do I walk? Where do I stay? Who do I marry? Even those that are married are asking, have I married the right person? If we could (laughs) turn back the hand of time, many of us would have certain decisions that we will, certain things we will do differently. True or false? I'm not saying you, are, you will be right either. <laughs> but at least right now, in retrospect, you can say that, did mm, I make the right choice? And it's a choice. And that's why you have to, you see, God always respects our choices. God always respects our choices. However, which is why he leads you in the right path. God doesn't force you down the right path. He will lead you, but he will respect your choices. He won't force you. So, but every choice has a consequence. Why God will not force you, Every choice has a consequence. All you have the power to do is to make the choice. Once you've made the choice, you don't have the power to determine the consequence. You see, the challenge with us is that we make a choice and we are now praying and fasting. Wanting to change the consequence. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It doesn't work like that. You need to change the choice. That's what they call restitution. You need to step back. Some things can be changed. Some things cannot be changed, as you will see. So when somebody makes a choice, you respect the choice. Why? Because that's all they can do. And it's a God-given right. But they cannot choose the consequences. That is God's prerogative. So, when your son started working, he makes a choice of who to marry, respect the choice, and back off. Because 
is an adult. You know, we have a generation of people that live their lives and want to live other people's lives too. You've made your own choices. If your son, your daughter, your, your brother, your, this, make their choice, respect it. You are not God. Even God respects our choices. Praise the name of the Lord. So that is why when people, when people choose you, you should appreciate it. When people choose to do life with you, you should appreciate, you should love them, you should respect them and appreciate them. That's why husbands, I say to husbands, I say to them, we should never forget that our wives chose to marry us. Unfortunately, some people think their wife is their property. Let every man say, my wife. (laughs) Oh yeah, now guys, my wife chose to marry me. And I respect her for that. (laughs) She made the wise choice. Yeah, she did. Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> so when somebody chooses to give you their time, to give you their life, to give you a piece of their, appreciate it because they could have given somebody else. They could have. You see, and any, anything you don't appreciate, you will lose. I mean, should I get into this? No, no, no. Let me stay on <laughs> Let me stay on course. Let me stay on course because there's so much to be done. So in, in, in Job 28, verse 7, Job 28, verse 7, maybe third worship experience, I'll get into all that. Job 28, 7, <clears throat> there is a path which no fowl knoweth. There's a path which even the vulture's eyes have not seen. You know, the vultures have this ability of staying up and looking for, you know, for carcasses. And, you know, they, 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 are, they have very sharp eyesight. And God is saying, they're as, 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 as efficient as having a bird's eye view is. As sharp as the, as the eyesight of birds and vultures are. God is saying there is a path they have not seen. And that path he knows and he will lead you through it. Praise the name of the Lord. If if God is your shepherd, you can never be stranded. Never be stranded. If God is your shepherd, you cannot be stranded. You can't. Would you have tough times? Of course. Would you have times when you need to dig in and dig deep? Of course. But will you be stranded? No. You will not be. Even though we all as sheep, like Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all, like sheep, we, are, we go astray. We get missing. We get stranded. Each of us turn to our own way. If each of us try to do our own things, Why? Because sheep always feel they are self-sufficient until they get lost. Sheep always feel, what does the shepherd know? The grass is greener on the other side. That one too is green. That one too is not bad. You know? Always. Until they get lost. And one strange thing about sheep is that when sheep get lost, they, they increase their speed. And it's also true about us. When we are lost, we increase our speed. But you see that, but the truth is that speeding up, increasing your speed, when you don't know where you are going, only gets you more lost quicker. You are lost. Just stop. If you are lost, what do you do? Stop and ask for direction. Stop and bleed. 
Stop and cry for help. If you are lost, stop moving. Because the more you move, the more lost you become. And you know what? It is, you see, the beauty of having God as your shepherd, we, we, I think something said last week, that it is the duty of the shepherd to look for the lost sheep. So, when you are lost, just stay and be shouting, yeah, yeah, whatever bleating means to you. Just shout for help. Just cry God, to God for help. Just, you know, God, it is his duty to find me when I'm lost. Stop running. And God leading us is so important. You must get to the place where you can hear God. You must get to the place where you can get into his leading. And if you are going to hear God speak to you, if you are going to hear God speak to your heart, if you are going to hear God lead you by his spirit, you need to be in rest mode, not in rush mode. We learned last week, it makes me lie down. Leads me beside still waters. I need to be in rest mode. Many times we are just everywhere. I need to be in rest mode. For the past few days in the Fresh Fire devotional, we've been talking about tuning in, right? And hearing God. So I'm not going to even going to begin to go into all those details. I'm going to add to you what was not in that devotional that will make you stronger. Praise the name of the Lord. If you are not reading the devotional, go and read it. You know, back up a few days. You will never miss your way again. Praise the name of the Lord. One of David's secrets is divine direction. One of David's secrets. David's greatest king of, of Israel. The Bible, practically. One of his greatest secrets is divine direction. David got into trouble like we did. Like we do. David gets to a place that he doesn't know what to do, like we all. But David always knew how to find his way. He always knew how to f- hear the voice of his shepherd. And we're going to look at a few, one of, one of the strengths, rather, of how does he do it? Yes, he, he says, bring me the human and the tumin. He says, oh, well, David inquired of the Lord, what should I do? How does he get to that place where he constantly is able to hear from God? David submitted himself to God as God's sheep. Uh, he wrote, David was a shepherd. So when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. So what he was saying is that all these things I'm doing for this sheep, God is doing it for me. He knew how to be quiet before God. David knew how to meditate. And that's, that's one of his key strengths. How to be quiet before God. How to be focused before God. How to meditate and make God your all-consuming focus. Psalm 63 verse 6. David teaches us in Psalm 63, verse 6, he says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on who? You, throughout the night. Hmm. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you, throughout the night. Question. What do you stay awake thinking about? Many people stay awake thinking about their problem. They lie awake thinking about school fees, meditating on dollar rates throughout the night. <laughs> I don't wonder people are lost. <laughs> they start lie awake looking at the economic charts. And looking at the stock market throughout the night. <laughs> they, they wake up and they say, why am I so confused? David says, I lie awake thinking of who? You. The problems were there. He had his challenges. 
But I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you throughout the night. Some people, they lie awake thinking of a, a babe, meditating on a girl throughout the night. They lie awake thinking of a man, meditating on his biceps throughout the night. Fortunately for some people, they lie awake thinking of Telemundo. <laughs> Meditating <laughs> on what is going to come next on the series throughout the night. Uh, and they wake up and they say, why am I so confused? How come I can't hear God? How come I don't? Because you lie awake thinking of Dash, filling the space, meditating on Dash, throughout. And, and God wants you to replace whatever that Dash is that is not him, with him. Think about me. Think about him. How great is our God. Sing with me, our great is our God. Always sing, our great, our great. By the time we get to Psalm 143 and we look at verse 5, we see David says, I remember the days. Of long ago. Psalm 143 verse 5. I meditate on all your works. And consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. And I thirst for you. Like a third land. Like, like, a, like, a, like a, a hungry land that is hungry for water. I am hungry for you. When I, I, I don't only meditate on you, I meditate on the works of your hands. When I think about what you have done for me. I'm filled with Gratitude. I lift my hand. So, like David, you need to find a place of solitude. No distraction. Focus your mind and your heart on God. And you will not lack direction. Find a place. Focus on God. Think about his promises. When I remember his promises, I shall I I shout hallelujah, I shout hallelujah. I remember his promises, shout hallelujah. David says, I lift up my hands. My hands just goes up. I shout hallelujah. When you find a place of solitude, focus on God. No distraction. Focus your mind. Focus your heart on God. You will not lack direction. God will lead you in the right paths for your life. God will lead you in that path that leads to freedom, that leads to financial freedom, that leads to mental freedom, spiritual freedom, destiny freedom. He will lead you in that path. You see, unfortunately, many people want to be led by circumstances. They want to be led by open doors and closed doors. You know, so, so, when does it don't open, it's God's will. When the door closes, it's God's will. When some, so, you know, God is kindergarten. God wants to tell you the door that will open. So that you stop wasting your time on the one that will not open. God wants to lead you. So, most people determine God's leading from circumstances. Even some people try to determine God's leading from counsel. 
Circumstances and counsel cannot determine, should not be rather, the primary ways of determining God's. If you wait for circumstances, it, you've waited too late. If you wait for counsel alone, sometimes it's too late. So if we have a walk with God, if we have a relationship with God, our circumstances never determine our leading, the leading of God. They don't. They can only confirm the leading of God. The circumstances can confirm the leading of God, but they don't determine it. Same for counsel. The counsel, God says, I mean, the word of God says that the, multiple, the multitude of counsel, there is safety. So there's a place for counsel. If you have a walk with God, counsel will not determine what God says to you. Counsel will confirm what God is saying to you. Praise the name of the Lord. Because if you wait, it will be too late. Too late. So God speaks objectively through his word. God is mind, his will, his objective, the big picture, his principles. So God speaks objectively through his word, but guess what? God speaks subjectively through his spirit. So God says, um, you should walk, right? That it will bless the work of your hands. So God wants you to walk. That is his will. That is his, the objective direction. But you have five offers. Say amen. You have five offers. And five of them are really good. Which ones do you take? It's not likely you'll find that in the Bible. <laughs> so subjectively, God will lead you by his spirit. By his spirit. And we have to experience the two. We need to know the word of God. And we need to know how to be led by the spirit of God. We need to know the word of God. We need to know how to be led by the spirit of God. Because he's our shepherd. And if God is your shepherd, it will meet your directional needs. But the problem today is that there is tension today between a Christianity that can understand and a Christianity that can feel. Some people want to stay in the place where, oh, I have to understand it. I have to get the doctrine right. I have to um, yeah, get the uh, um, miletics right. I have to get the eschatology. I have to get the, all the big, big names. I have to get it right. I have to get the reasoning right. And some people stay on the other side. Oh, I have to feel the Holy Ghost. I have to, <laughs> I have to get a feeling right. So there's a, there's a contention, there's a tension between a Christianity that can understand and a Christianity that can feel. Tension between the intellectual side and the experiential side. Tension between the educational, academic And the practical, experiential. Some people say, oh, you have to be intellectual. Some people say, no, 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 you don't understand what I'm feeling. You have to feel the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Some say, use your mind. And it's, it's fine, it's fantastic. But you see, a lot of them, their heart is as hard as rock and as cold as a dog's nose. While others are the feely, feely Christians. All you need to say is, Today, oh, all is so bad. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not judging any side. I'm just saying this, this tension exists and it, it's real. But the scary thing is that sometimes the Philly Philly guys, they are doing something that is totally against God's principles. 
But he said, but I, I feel good about it. I, I have peace. That's, that's another word they use. Have you heard that before? I have peace about this decision. What is this decision? It's going to lead you to the rocks. Oh, I have peace. I feel the way Katakata busts. They wonder what went wrong. Because God cannot be mocked. Praise the name of the Lord. It's impossible for God to be mocked. God wants you to use your brain. Of course. But you see, you can only go so far with your human ability. The sheep is always limited. The sheep is always limited. So the Holy Spirit, where God wants you to use your brain, the Holy Spirit wants to take you without beyond limits. Why God wants you to use your brain, the, God also wants you to experience the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wants to take you beyond what your brain can ever think or imagine. And that is freedom. That is freedom. That's freedom. Praise the name of the Lord. So, what I have discovered in my work with God, what I've discovered is this. That the truth is this. There's actually no legitimate conflict. There's actually no legitimate battle between intellectual faith and passionate faith. There's actually no legitimate contradiction between intellectual faith and, and you see, people always just want to stay in what they are naturally inclined to and build a doctrine around it. That's usually the problem. But if you look at God, if you look at the word of God, if you have any tangible work with God, you will agree with what I'm saying. There's actually no conflict with intellectual faith and, of, and, and, and passionate faith. In fact, a truly intellectual faith will set your soul on fire. A truly intellectual faith will set your, your soul on fire. I remember the time that I, I, I embarked on an intellectual research on this guy called Jesus. Should we follow him? You know, I know, I know, I know. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> You're like, Pastor, can you ever ask such a blasphemous question? It's okay. I, look, there's a part of my brain that is still very active, you know, and is working very sharp by the grace of God. So there was a time in my life that I needed to, uh, should we follow this guy? Should we just follow him because he says we should follow him? Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> So I told him, why should I be following him? I will follow him because he says we should follow him. Now, let me tell you something. Growing up, my dad taught me to, to um, um, query text and query thoughts. And have my own thoughts. I don't follow people because they just say you should follow. No, 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 no. Where are you going? So, as I said, this guy called Jesus, where, where is he really going? Why, why should we follow him? Or why should I follow him? So I, I began to, to research. It was, an, it was a purely intellectual journey. So, from historical findings, he wasn't an imaginary friend. So Jesus actually lived on earth. So there, there, there was too much historical facts. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about historical facts. That showed me that Jesus actually walked on earth. Okay, so there was somebody called Jesus. Okay, check. Why should I follow him? He said this, he said this, he said this, he said this. Those are impressive things to say. Because if you are not crazy, you won't say the things that Jesus said. So, Jesus could actually be a madman. Which means I shouldn't follow him. Or it could be the son of God that he says he is, right? Which means I should follow him. So what is, the, what is that thing about Jesus that makes it compelling to follow him? For me, it was simple, it's clear. And I think it's the strongest part of the Christian faith. And that is the resurrection. 
if Jesus could predict his own death and say, on the third day I will rise again and actually pull it off and actually rose up again. Ah, we follow that guy. <laughs> I will follow that one. So, so, but I now needed to show, did he die? Did he resurrect? So, it was clear from historical facts geographical uh, channel. He was actually crucified. It's public knowledge. Non-religious text confirmed it. So, the contention was this. The body was missing. That was not in contention. The contention was this. Did they steal the body? Or did he actually resurrect? So, let's assume they stole the body. Who stole the body? Who could steal the body? Who had interest in stealing the body? The Romans? The high priests? The religious folks? Or the disciples? Right? Okay, so... <clears throat> It can't be the Romans and the religious folks because they guarded the tomb to make sure that the body was not stolen. So they can't work against themselves because so so they, it can't be them because their soldiers were there. They were armed. So the disciples could have could they have pulled off the haste? Could they have stolen the body? And I said to myself, if you look at the pedigree of these guys, they were fishermen, tax collectors, that a small girl says you knew Jesus, they denied Jesus, and they run away. Could they go and, and, there was no confrontation. So there was no bloodshed. So they could not have fought the soldiers. How could they sneak into the, I'm like, okay, so, the chances of these guys stealing it, is slim. But it's possible. It's possible. Then, my research went on. And I said, let's examine each of these people's lives after the said resurrection. And let's see what happened to them 50, 70, sometimes some of them 80, 90, in the case of John the Beloved, years after the resurrection. If we all say that we come up with a lie that we stole the body of Jesus, right? After 20 years, somebody will give it up. And I checked every one of the disciples, not from the Bible, from historical books, historical facts. Every one of them died for the testimony of the resurrection in different parts of the world. Every one of them. Now, if Peter died, I could say he's a loyal guy. But what about Thaddeus? What about Bartholomew? Do you know the one that blew me away the most? Was Dalton Thomas. <laughs> Thomas said, if I don't touch his hand, guys, 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 you can't put a wool over my eyes. I won't believe this thing. You say you saw Jesus. Peter, Peter, you saw Jesus. If I don't by myself. And the Bible says that Jesus came and said to Thomas, this is my hand. He touched it. He fell on his face. says, my Lord and my God. <laughs> Jesus says, you are worshipping because you can't feel and touch. It says, blessed are those that can't see and yet believe. That's you and I. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. So I followed Thomas' trail. Thomas became, all of them were scattered around the world. There was no technology. They could not keep in touch. Thomas went to India. He was skinned alive. 
to deny that Jesus rose. And Thomas died saying Jesus is alive. I made up my mind. I will follow Jesus. <laughs> I will follow Jesus. I will follow Jesus. There's, I mean, it is undeniable. And guess what? When I decided to follow him, the intellectual faith births in me a passionate faith. Truly intellectual faith always gives birth to what? To a passionate faith. And when it gave birth to a passionate faith in me, guess what? I began to experience the resurrected Christ. I began to experience the power of his resurrection. So my, my belief now is gone beyond the text that I read, the articles that I read, the hours of research that I've put into. My belief has gone beyond my conclusion. My belief has now extended to my experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So, it is, it is impossible for you to tell me that Jesus is not alive. I have experienced him live. I've seen Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, the crippled. I've seen, I've seen unbelievable things that prove to me that Jesus is, is alive. So, we should trash all this nonsense about intellectual faith experiential faith. It's crap. Because you can't just stay on the experiential side without engaging your mind. Same thing, you can't just stay on the intellectual side without getting some real experience. Why? Because our work with God is a love relationship and nobody wants a lover that can't reason. Nobody wants a lover that cannot reason. Nobody wants a dumb lover. Jump. Sit. Up. You know, coming to America. You know, so back like a dog. The same way, nobody wants a love that makes them dumb. If you keep talking to your husband after a while, every time you talk to him, he makes you feel like a fool. He makes you feel dumb. After a while, you disconnect from the guy. Because nobody wants a lover that makes them dumb. And nobody wants a dumb lover. The same way, the same way, nobody wants a lover that can't feel. And nobody wants a lover that doesn't set them on fire. Uh, If we are going to have something When I touch your body, I want a response. Husband and wife, husband and wife. <laughs> One of the most devastating things for a husband is to touch his wife and she's just lying there like a log. For children, there are some children here, but I'll code it. Do what you want to do and let's go on. It's called cadaveric sex. Oh. <laughs> I said it. Cadaver. A cadaver is a, is a corpse. A man feels disgusted. He feels disrespected. He feels... Why? Because no one wants a lover that can't feel. But does not get a door. No one wants a lover that doesn't set them on fire. And the same is with God. God doesn't want a lover that is dumb. That's why he didn't make robots. That's why he gave us a choice. That's why he gets us and we choose him. That's why it's a big deal to God that we choose him. That's why he treats us with love and compassion. Because he appreciates the fact that we actually chose him. Isn't that awesome? So why shouldn't you appreciate that your wife chose you? Yeah, back to that again. So God wants a faith full of fire. 
Not just wildfire, but intelligent fire. God wants a faith that is full of, everybody say, intelligent fire. Not just wildfire. Not just wildfire. Intelligent fire. So when God's objective word combines with the subjective voice of the Holy Spirit, you have a combustion that leads to intelligent fire. Intelligent fire. Fire that is sound, but is fire still. Fire that is deep and is fire still. Fire that is intelligent, but is fire still. So your shepherd knows the correct path of your life. He knows what the correct path is. He knows which direction you ought to take. He does. And he will lead you. Say amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So the question is this. I know I'm moving very fast. I've, you know, I've skipped some content for time. <clears throat> Maybe we'll touch on them worship experience. So why will he lead you? Why will he lead you into his will? Why will he show you the right path? Why will he go through the trouble of showing you the way to go? Why? David tells us why. Psalm 23 verse 3. He says, he leads me in the right path for his name's sake. There's something at stake here. God is saying, Femi, you will get it right. Because I am at stake. There's something at stake. In Bible times, the concept of the name concept is more than just a label of identification. It's not that you have things in your cupboard in the kitchen. This is sugar. This is a... No. This is... No, no, no. It's not just a label. God, we don't have names. Names in Bible times, it's not just a, a tag. A dog tag. No. In Bible times, names represent reputation and character. Reputation and character. So when God says, I will lead you in the right paths, Femi, I will make sure you don't make a mistake. I will make sure you don't miss it. I will lead you in the right path because of my character and because of my reputation. I mean, if you go to bed, you can't miss it. Praise the name of the Lord. It's not because you can pray better than everybody else. It's not because you can fast better than anybody else. It's because of my word. My name. My name. So, for your, for your namesake actually means in furtherance of your reputation and for the fame of your character. In other words, for your glory. In furtherance of your reputation and for the fame of your character. For your namesake means in furtherance of your reputation and for the fame of your character. So God will lead me in the right path for his namesake. God will lead you in the right path for his namesake. For the furtherance of his what? Reputation and the fame of his. So God is going to lead you and make sure you don't miss it for the furtherance of his and for the fame of his of his character. It's so important that we get that. So important. But see, it's interesting because in the, that's in verse 23. He says, he lead me in the right path for his name's sake. Not for my namesake. David did not say, he leads me in the path of righteousness, in the right path for my namesake. A few slides down, you get the right one. For his namesake. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his own namesake. Not for my own namesake. See, the problem with us is that we think it's about us. 
We think it's about us. We say something like, oh, if I lose my job, what would my story be? <laughs> you think it's about you. I mean, I, I, I used to think so too. Oh, if, if, if this relationship does not work out, what will people say? And they know I'm a child of God. We look at ourselves and we say, if my health doesn't improve, what would my testimony be? Wouldn't that mar my testimony? If my marriage hits the rock, what would my story be? What would my testimony be? It is a wrong way of thinking. Praise the name of the Lord. It's a wrong way of thinking. Why? Because God taught me this long time ago, that, listen, Femi, it is not about your story. It is about my glory. It's about my glory. My glory. It's not about your story. Stop getting fixated on your story. Stop getting fixated on your testimony. It's about my glory. About my glory. That's why God could say to a prophet to go and marry a prostitute. I mean, Imagine prophet marrying prostitute. You hear me? The guy will say, God, what would be, what, what would be, that is a bad testimony. It's in the Bible. God says, no, it has nothing to do with you. It's not about your story. It's about my, my glory. I was sharing testimony last, last week, how I was serving and, and, and I felt, you know, felt God that, I mean, I was wasting my time in the north. God was, you know, I mean, I'm going to be ashamed. You know, all my colleagues will have gone ahead of me. People were buying cars as sweet coppers. I was waiting for Alawi to survive. I mean, it was just a bad story, you know. <laughs> and we had a, uh, a conference in Jos, you know. So we went from, from the northeast to Jos for that conference. And it was a very, it was a prayer session. And it was really intense. And at that conference, God said to me, said that you are, you are afraid that you will be a reproach. I said, exactly. Exactly. God says that if you become a reproach for me, let the reproach be on me. That's what he said to me. If you become a reproach, if you become a shame, then shame on me. I, I immediately saw how big it is. That's I'm just a part of the big picture. My story is a part of the big story. How my story goes is not about me. How my story goes is about his glory. So I have to trust God for the outcome of my life. And you would think that when I finish serving, immediately I will get a job. For one year, I was jobless. One whole year. And again, I said, but God, this is not a good testimony. I've told these people about you. They think I'm a child of God. I'm bringing disrepute to my testimony. And God says, it's not about your story. It's about my glory. (laughs) Are you getting this? Because if you get this, this alone, it's so, you've gotten many things, I'm sure. But this is so powerful. It's so powerful. You know, and God is saying to you and I, by the time I am done with you, you will discover that your story is only a part of my story. And my story always ends in glory. Always ends in glory. Always, 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 always. And in glory. So one of the secrets of having power with God, the God of heaven, is for your name's sake. If you can get out of the way in any endeavor, any endeavor, any endeavor you are doing, any endeavor, if you can get out of the way, if you can take your story away, and say to God, this is for the furtherance of your reputation. This is for the fame of your character. 
This is not about me. This is about you. Let me tell you something. You become totally unstoppable. One of the greatest positions in supplication and intercession is what I'm teaching you. For your name's sake. There's nothing God will not do for his name's sake. There's nothing. He can turn a whole thing upside down for his glory. Because he will not share his glory with any man. The problem with us is that we are in the, we are in the center of our story. We are the actor, you know. And when we see the actor going down, we are like, ah, actors don't die. But God wants you to put him as the center of your story. Then, you become totally free. You become unstoppable. Let's burn our hearts. Let's burn our heads. You are the center of my story. Talk to God. You are the center of my story. You are the center of my story. It's not about me. It's not about my children. It's not about my career. It's not about my ministry. It's about you. It's about you. You. I want to pray with you if you are here. You are saying, Pastor, can you please pray with me? I want to turn my life over to God. There's, there's no time, but I want to pray with you. I don't need you to come forward. Wherever you are seated, I want to turn my life over to God. Can you pray with me? I want to make God the center of my life. I want to turn it over to him. I want to get born again. I used to be born again. I want to, I, I, I want to come back to God. Can you pray with me? Yes, I want to pray with you. Wherever you are seated, put up your hand now over your head. Quickly, that is me. God bless you. My sister, God bless you over there. God bless you. Keep the hands up. God bless you over there. Keep the hands up. God bless you, my brother. God bless you, my sister over there. Keep the hands up. That is me. That is me. Keep the hands up. Not on your head. Over your head. Slip it up. God bless you. Another hand right there behind you. God bless you, sir. God bless you, my brother. Right there. God bless you. Keep the hands up. That is me. Pastor, pray with me. Once you have the card, you can pull down your hand and, and cry to God. And cry to God. I'm going to pray with you in a bit. There's another hand right there at that corner. That is me, Pastor. Pray with me. Pray with me. I've dislodged God as the center. Oh, Father, we thank you. Jesus, at the center of it all. Jesus, at the center of it all. From beginning to for everyone that is surrendering to you sitting in control of our lives to you Lord we ask that you receive them into your kingdom in the name of Jesus breathe upon your people change these lives and let your name and your name alone be glorified honor and glory be given to you we pray for every one of us Lord help us to see that it's about your story and your glory not our story. Our story is just a, a 
tiny little bit of your story. And we are confident that your story will always end in glory. We give you praise and glory, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Let's put our hands together for the Lord, for his kindness and his mercy and his compassion. Amen.